God revels in creation because I think that reveling in vocation is not simply a divine vocation, it is a human vocation. To see what God has done and what God has made and to say, oh wow, that's good. This is Chapter, Verse, and Season, a lectionary podcast from Yale Bible Study. Join us each week as Yale Divinity School professors look at an upcoming text from the Revised Common Lectionary. I'm Natalie Owens-Pike, MDiv Class of 2023 here at Yale Divinity School, and I'll be your host while executive producer Helena Martin is away. This episode, we have Abdul Rahman Malik, an associate research scholar and lecturer in Islamic studies at Yale Divinity School, and Justin Crisp, a lecturer in Anglican studies at Yale Divinity School. They're discussing Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 4a, which is appointed for Trinity Sunday of the season after Pentecost in year A. Here is the text. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 4a. When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was complete chaos and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be a dome in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome. And it was so. God called the dome sky and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth put forth vegetation plants yielding seed and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind and trees of every kind bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. 
And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind with which the waters swarm and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind and the cattle of every kind and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make humans in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humans in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude On the sixth day, God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. You know, this this passage, I mean, what can, what can you say about a passage which is the beginning of everything, <laughs> you know? As, as a Muslim, I grew up hearing these passages of, 
of uh, of the Hebrew Bible, of witnessing them in poetry, of seeing them in literature, of probably being even read them by my own mother, who who loved Jewish literature in in particular. We had books of Jewish literature in the house and aphorisms and passages of the Bible because she loved it as as literature. And of course, for Muslims, the Torah, the texts that are delivered to Moses, are indeed revelation. Revelation like the Quran is revelation to the Prophet Muhammad. So, so there's a certain seriousness with which I'm approaching this text. And, you know, growing up in the mosque as a, as a minority religious community at that time in a predominantly Christian Canada, when our imams and our teachers would teach in a way comparative religion, we were trying to, they were trying to teach us, well, there are things that are similar, but here are the key differences. And these differences you must know because it is your uniqueness in them. And I have to say, one of the things that came up, Justin, all the time was this verse 2-2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, and so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all work of creating that he had done. And this is an anathema to Muslims. The Quran tells us, There is nothing unto or like God. God is distinct from creation. Creation rests. God does not rest. And this was an oft-referred-to point of clear difference between the understanding of God between us as Muslims and our Jewish and Christian siblings. And so so I, I want to ask you, Justin, what is Genesis telling us about God's resting? Because it God doesn't need to rest. <laughs> oh, wow. AR, that's <clears throat> way to grasp the nettle of what's going on in the creation stories, because I think that these are the two creation stories in the book of Genesis in chapters one, one through three really, I think. They're just that. They're stories. Now, I don't mean that they're only stories, but I think I I would call them, well, they're mythological in character. And by that, I mean they are attempts to depict through narrative and drama something which is true, which you could articulate by other means, but the means which these particular texts choose are, is, is the means of storytelling. So, just because it says God rested there. It doesn't mean that what it means to be God is to be the kind of thing that might rest, right? Which, which many Christians, as well as Muslims, would have some problem with, right? Uh, it, it, hard to see how Thomas Aquinas or John Calvin or somebody like that uh, could, could <laughs> hard to see how God could be the kind of, hard to see, mm, see I'm tripping over the word thing, because God is not really a thing in that tradition, right. right? What it means for God to be God is not to be something which is capable of resting, not to be something which needs rest, right? Because right. rest would be a finite condition rather than mm. Infinite condition. Exactly. What I think these, if I if I look at these stories as myths, what I think this first story is trying to um, is trying to say is that God somehow God's um God's creative activity works through distinction, separation, that is through difference and relationship. And so you see this in each of the days of creation, right? There, there's a separation of things from one another, distinctions made between things, and then, and then those uh, those diversities are put in relationship with one another. And this all occurs against a backdrop of chaos. 
That is a lack of distinction, a lack of difference, etc. It happens against the backdrop of Genesis 1-2, the formless void and the darkness which covered the face of the deep and so on. And I know that there are many, um, there's some pretty vexing exegetical questions here about whether or not this formless void is like the primordial stuff out of which God creates in Genesis 1, or whether this formless void is like a primordial soup which somehow pre-exists God's creative act. I tend to think that well, I'll just say I'm, I'm attracted to the to the solution of Karl Barth to this, and perhaps it's a little too elegant, particularly for an, uh, for a biblical scholar, which I'm a theologian, not a biblical scholar. Uh, but but what Barth does with this is uh, Barth says that there's it's as though God says yes to creation, and there's a no implicit in God's yes, and what's being said no to implicitly is chaos, is nothingness. What he you know in the German das Nichtige, and so you. Regardless of how one interprets the formless void, I think that the the takeaway, the chief takeaway of Genesis 1 for me is that you have a creative act which intends diversity and relationship, and then you have a background of chaos which threatens always to suck the seams out of creation and that's threatens to so, undo those distinctions and those relationships. That's so fascinating, Justin. I never thought about the chaos part of it. And I think part of me, maybe it was it was because I kind of came of age in the in the in the in the nineteen eighties and early nineties during the the heyday of the chaos theory, where even chaos itself is not chaotic, uh-huh. but has a kind of an incredible order to it. And 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 that always helped me. It was a very important theological moment in my life coming across chaos theory, because I think I was confronted by a science which spoke about chaos as an actual fact, and yet out of the chaos emerges such order at a molecular level, in even in the way in which elements of quote-unquote chaos are connected together, is, is elegant and orderly, is that, that in a way, I, I think my Muslim sensibilities tell me that, that things were never out of order. Even in the things that we perceive in in terms of our human intelligence or view as being chaotic, that there is that there is at least a divine order, and that divine order is so vast that we may not be able to see the order of it. I, I always thought, you know, that that Genesis fit nicely into the Big Bang narrative. You know, that, that let there be light, and there was this cataclysmic, amazing thing that came out of the primordial soup from particular order to a new kind of order. I think that would that's for me is really powerful. But the other thing that occurs to me here, and I think this segues nicely into your understanding or the understanding that you've proposed of this story as being mythological, is that the days as they unfold, of course, I don't know what the I don't know what the language of the Greek here is, but certainly within the Quranic language of creation, the days are deeply metaphorical. These are long periods of time. These are periods in which God's creative processes are being constantly engaged, that these things are not appearing instantaneously, but are appearing with process, dare I say, in an evolutionary way. And I think that sense of evolution, 
process, things taking time, millions, billions, trillions of, 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 of years is very much something that my Muslim sensibilities feel very comfortable with. And I know that there's a way of reading this that becomes quite literal, perhaps, that all of these things God made and created and then human beings appeared. And I, I'd love to think of us as, as homo sapiens appearing after a very long process of, of creation. And then God chooses to make us at that moment. I think this, there's something, I think that idea of allegory and metaphor plays well into the idea of this being mythology. Oh, I, I'm, I'm completely with you. And I'll just say that, just to say it out loud, there is n- nothing about this text or the second creation story in Genesis that for me as a Christian contradicts it contradicts evolution as a the very best scientific theory which we currently have on offer for explaining the emergence of of, of life on earth, right? These two things are are in non competition. And I'll just say I, I don't think that the theological understanding on my part or the one which you are describing either are particularly modern, right? Evolution might be modern, but the these these ways of understanding these texts as allegorical, as mythological, and so on are very, very ancient. I mean, I'll just say I, I think this is much the way that uh, the early church father Gregory of Nyssa interpreted the creation narratives, for instance. I will say, my favorite part about what happens on the days is that God does, <laughs> God God performs God's creative acts and then says they were good. It's as though God revels in creation, because I think that reveling in vocation is not simply a divine vocation, it is a human vocation, to see what God has done and what God has made, and to say, oh, wow, that's good. It reminds me of, um, so I'm a great lover of Mozart, and it reminds me of um, what I think is so unique about Mozart's music. Mozart is, it's, it's just as though Mozart delights in what he's discovered, a particular tune or, or, uh, or, or something, and he, he, he perceives it from different angles and depicts it from every angle. It's as though he's constantly revolving around something incredibly beautiful, just a little artifact of the beautiful that he's found. And then you get um, you get the same thing with when Beethoven writes cadenzas sometimes for for Mozart's piano concertos, like a concerto number 20 in D minor comes to mind. And it's as though Beethoven is just reveling in whatever it was that Mozart had discovered, right? And somehow this reveling in the goodness of creation is the human vocation. The, the, the Sufis, the, 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 the Islamic mystical tradition, the Islamic spiritual tradition often speaks about God's self-revelation. And there's a, a hadith Qudsi, which is a, a, a statement of the Prophet in which the Prophet speaks, Prophet Muhammad speaks in God's voice. And he says that God said that I was a treasure that longed to be known. And so that I created, so then I created creation so that I may be known. That, that the very process, all of this going on, all of this creation that we read about in Genesis is all about God's self-revelation. And that, that we as creation are given the gift of life in order to witness God's self-revelation and the majesty, the creative power, the beauty, the mercy, the grace that magnificence uh, of God. And that, that speaks to my heart. Amen. Thanks for listening. Chapter Verse in Season is a production of the Center for Continuing Education at Yale Divinity School. It's produced by creator and managing editor Joel Baden, executive producer Helena Martin, production manager Kelly Morrissey, associate producer Aidan Stoddard, and I'm your host, Natalie Owens-Pike. Mixing on today's episode and our theme music are by Calvin Linderman. 
we'll be back with another conversation from chapter, verse, and season.